0: Well, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the Book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 129 today. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about joy, rejoicing always. And I may have shared a a dream that I had with you. And so when you tell a dream in a public setting, there's always people who want to take that somewhere. And so, uh, I wanted to show you the product of what happens when you join a couple friends with the power of Photoshop in a dream that I spoke out loud. Can we... <laughs> so, if, if you are here and were not here last week, I'm not going to take the time to explain that. You'll have to go to our website and uh, pull up the sermon from last Sunday and watch it, and then it'll become perfectly clear for you. So... I feel the love. (laughs) But I like having fun, and that's kind of what we were talking about, is being able to rejoice and and laugh with others and laugh at ourselves. And and, uh, so we had a little bit of snow in the middle of, well, I guess the beginning of August last week. We're continuing our summer series. Uh, It's called Tunes for the Trail, Psalms that Take Us Higher. We're in the section of the Psalms, uh, number 120 all the way through 134. Uh, They're called the Songs of Ascent. And uh, I just need to say that, you know, the last couple weeks, we've had some steps in the journey that are, let's just say, they're maybe a little bit lighter, a little bit easier, um, happier of, of sorts. We've talked about uh, worshiping God and, and bringing glory and honor to His name, and then and last week we talked about uh, finding joy in our circumstance and along the journey. Um, but sometimes, as we ascend the mountain of discipleship, we come across rocky territory. We, we find ourselves in very steep Places, uh, dangerous terrain, if you will, and and some of the steps along the way really challenge us. Um, the highest peak in Idaho is uh, Mount Bora. It's uh, I believe it's twelve thousand six hundred sixty-two feet in elevation. Uh, it's a popular mountain to climb in Idaho. In Idaho, it's um, they say it's a fairly accessible uh, summit to reach and um, I have a friend who lives down in that area, and he invited me to go on a climb to the top of Mount Bora. He and some friends were going to go do that, and he thought, hey, maybe Dave would want to come down and work it into his calendar. Um, I really wanted to, but the date didn't work out, but he piqued my interest, so I did a little bit of research on Mount Bora to to learn about the mountain and to see some of the pictures from the trail, and uh, it does look like it's fairly accessible, except there's one pretty tricky spot, and it's called uh, Chicken Out Ridge. <laughs> it kind of explains it in the title. It's, uh, it's an area that, that narrows down. It's pretty steep on both sides, uh, and it has these really jagged rocks coming up, and you, you really have to kind of get down on all fours and navigate your way across this rocky area. And then if you were to make it past this rocky area, you come down this pretty steep spot and you get on this, uh, this ice field, this, this snow field that is only about this wide, it looks like in the picture. And there's, you know, it's very narrow that you're walking across, and it's, it's pretty steep down both sides. So if you were to navigate across the rocky part and the snow field, they say it's a really easy finish to the climb but you come to this point called uh, Chicken Out Ridge. And so when I talked to my friend after the climb, uh, I said, well, how did it go? Did, you know, what's the summit like? He's like, I didn't, I didn't make it to the summit. I said, what happened? Well, I got to this one place and it was, you made it to Chicken Out Ridge? He's like, oh, you know about that. <laughs> he, uh, he put another check mark in the column for the many reasons why they call it Chicken Out Ridge. Um, I think Christian discipleship is sometimes like this. Uh, We feel like we get to certain steps in our walk with Jesus uh, that are just too difficult. We come to points in our walk of faith that could be labeled Chicken Out Ridge. They're jagged, and if you get over that, then there's an ice field that you have to navigate. We get to places where it just seems like, "I I I can't go there, Jesus. That, that's one step that's just too hard. It's too far for me. And, and we get to these places, and, and we start looking around for other ways, and, and most of the ways that we try and find on our own uh, only lead to dead ends. This week's question, every week in this series, we've, we've laid a question out on the table. And, and this week's question is, how do I live free from my past? How do I live free from my past? So let's stand as we read this psalm. We're in book of Psalms, uh, psalm number 129. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back. And made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, if we're going to try and answer the question, how do we live free from the past, we might as well just start from the beginning of this one. Uh, This does not come across as a happy song at all. This comes across more like the... uh, protest music you would have heard back in the 60s and 70s, the songs that had just a little bit of political edge to them. Uh, This kind of would probably fit into that kind of a genre. I mean, verse 1, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. The Psalmist, psalmist says it two times, just so that we make sure that we understand what he's talking about. The effect is, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. And the first question that we want to know is, well, who is they? We're talking in the third person here. They oppressed me. And the simple answer, the short answer to the, to the they question is, it's my enemies. My, my enemies have been oppressing me since my youth. Do you, do you have any enemies? Have you ever had an enemy? If I were to ask you this morning, who in your life has been your greatest enemy? Has somebody come to mind? You know, a lot of times when we talk about enemies, we categorize things and we think about big groups. So, this group is my enemy, uh, or this group stands against uh, me. Um, you know, or we we narrow it down and we look at the figureheads that represent those groups. So, you know, when you say enemy, Adolf Hitler's picture may come to mind, uh, Saddam Hussein's picture might come to mind, Osama bin Laden's picture might come to mind, because they represent these bigger groups of people who we oftentimes think of as enemy. But uh, enemies, I think, are much closer to us. Um, Most of our enemies that inflict the most pain and damage in our life are oftentimes people within a very close proximity to us, oftentimes people whom we might might have once considered to be a friend. Enemies, well, they seek to tear us down. They don't look out for your good or your well-being. An enemy is is one who always seems to be against whatever it is that you're doing. An enemy is one who stands in opposition to you. Nothing you do is right, and they're not afraid to tell you about it. The psalmist in in this passage, he's speaking in in the first person. They have oppressed me. But he uses this... um, he uses this lament to, to take something that was intensely personal and to make it a personification of something that had happened to Israel over the course of her life. Uh, the people are called to remember the pain and the suffering and the assaults and the attacks uh, on Israel over her long history. To, to remember back to being put in slavery in Egypt and and then to be conquered and to be dragged off into exile. Those are things that, that come to mind as, as this uh, psalmist is talking about his own personal pain inflicted on him by his enemy. He's using it in a way to draw in the, the whole audience and remember corporate pain. Uh, whoever wrote this psalm ha- had experienced some intense pain, intense, difficult suffering. Uh, he says he was afflicted all the way back to his youth. It's a personal attack. And, and this personal attack, it... it it also seems like it had something to do with the honor of God as well. It doesn't sound like we're talking about just a petty grievance here. We're talking about something much more serious than that. He says, I was greatly oppressed. Serious persecution. Perhaps even crimes against humanity. Um, You know, when we look at what's going on uh, over in the Mideast, can't read this passage without these images bubbling up in your mind christians who are being persecuted around the globe suffering and even dying for their faith and the the easy thing to say is well we need to pray for those brothers and sisters and we do but as i always want to know is there is there more that can be done besides just pray and in the context of this psalm with suffering and persecution and affliction and oppression at the hands of our enemies, um, I think we need to, to keep this at the front of our conscience. and our, um, our denomination is uh, active in seeking healing and restoration and coming to the aid of, of people over in the Middle East right now and, our general superintendents, there are six of them, who help uh, provide leadership for the entirety of our denomination. They they um, they wrote a letter to to congregations, to just people in general. It's uh, at nazarene.org, and it's uh, it's called Five Prayers for Peace. And I just wanted to share it with you. You can go to nazarene.org, and it's one of the one of the main articles on the front page. So if you want a copy of this uh, later on, you can go there. Uh, But they say this, We are appealing for Nazarenes to pray for an immediate end to violence in the Middle East. Believing Jesus called us to be peacemakers, we must affirm the need for our church to work and pray for peace in the region. Pray for peace in Israel and the Palestinian territories, for a just and lasting solution that allows all people to live with dignity and respect in the absence of violence. Pray for the comfort of those who have lost family members and friends. That's prayer number one. Prayer number two, pray for peace in Syria, for an immediate end to the conflict, and for the protection of human life. More than 100,000 people have been killed. There are 6.5 million internally displaced people in Syria and 2.5 million Syrian refugees who have fled to neighboring countries. Pray for their many needs to be met and for hope in the face of long-term displacement. Prayer number three, pray for the persecuted church across the region that is in danger because of faith in Christ, that those who are oppressed would know, that, would know the strength and courage that comes from fellowship with God. Pray that people of different faiths could live in peace with one another. Prayer number four, pray for the protection of children throughout the region and for all people who have experienced trauma. Fifth prayer, pray for local churches that are working in partnership with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries and other ministries and agencies to alleviate suffering as they care for the vulnerable, involatile, insecure conditions. As followers of the risen Christ, we are called to love all people and recognize that they are precious and worthy of our concern and compassion. If you'd like to, you obviously pray, but there's ways that you can uh, go through nazarene.org and, and you can donate directly to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, and those funds go directly in, in support to, to bolster um, our church's effort to help rescue people. And as we read this psalm, we, we have to recognize that there are people in our individual lives, that tear us down. We all can name enemies from our past. Many can name an enemy that we face right now. People who steal our lunch money, kick us to the curb, who stand in opposition against us. But the enemy, Satan, he—he's at work in the world, and he is—he's doing everything that he can to wreak chaos and havoc and destruction but he's fighting. He's fighting a losing battle. He's fighting a losing battle. The victory has already been won. So as we think through this psalm, we we have to think individually, yes, but we also have to remember that the psalmist calls us, he draws the entirety of, of the congregation into his own personal lament to remember the pain and the suffering that they have gone through the pain is great he says verse 3 plowmen have ploughed my back and made their furrows long that that's really picturesque language uh, he could be saying that it feels like a plow has been dragged across my back we might say in our vernacular that we feel like we've been hit by a truck or we feel like we've been steamrolled, or we feel like we've been thrown under the bus. You want to see the tire tracks? That's that. It could be just a, a way of the the psalmist to draw us in using very picturesque language. But I gotta say, it could be. There's a more terrible reading of this. There, there was a an ancient practice that the psalmist might be referring to, where captives. Uh, would be tortured with farm implements. And, and so, the terrible imagery here that he could be speaking of literally is, is to have experienced being laid out prone and, and having your enemies connect the cords to their oxen and to the plow and, and to have that plow just dragged across your back, making a long furrow up and down. It could be picturesque, but it could be something that he has experienced personally. He may have a real scar. Have you ever felt like that? Like you've been hit by a truck? Like the wrong that somebody did to you feels like you've had a a long furrow scraped into your flesh? See, the wounds people inflict on us sometimes feel like we have a big, gaping wound in our life. They work us over like a farmer works over his field with a plow. Look at verse 2. They have not gained the victory over me. This person has not been defeated through all of this conflict. There is hope despite the difficulty. For while the suffering is very personal to him, while this suffering is very real to him, it's not just some minor inconvenience. This suffering is, is very serious, it's great, we are told. And the suffering is long lasting. From his youth, they have not gained the victory over me, he says. This psalmist is a survivor. He, he has survived somehow and and he is pressing on but but the affliction that he's had in the past whatever it was we don't know exactly it overshadows his present circumstance he's not entirely gotten beyond it it plays over and over in his mind he can't break free from from these chains and it's it's like that he is still in captivity to this oppression See, this kind of betrayal, this kind of hurt, it's it's hard to forget. When when we get stabbed in the back, when when somebody who's close to us throws us under the bus, there there can be deep wounds inflicted on us that take a long time to heal. We, We have emotional scars that are that are very fragile and and it's really easy for those scabs to be ripped off of those leaving an open and gaping and and vulnerable wound sometimes like the video we find ourselves just carrying all sorts of heavy baggage around pain and hurt and anger and disappointment and bitterness if we keep adding a bag with each of those labels it just soon weighs us down, and it begins to cripple us. The weight is enormous. Are we at Chicken Out Ridge yet? It's hard stuff, but there's a solution that's found in, in the psalm. There's power in the name of Jesus to break the chains and to heal the hurt. There's freedom from these wounds, both past and present. The freedom is found in Jesus. Look at, look at verse 4. It says, But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The Lord is righteous. It's two words in the Hebrew. It's Jehovah Tzaddik. God is just. God is righteous. I may have been hurt, yes, but, but the Lord, the Lord is Righteous. And he cuts the cords of the wicked. Now, the the cords he's referring to are the ones that, that are attaching this plow to the oxen. But if you think about cords... Further than that, if you think about a puppet that's controlled by strings or somebody who's tied up in captivity, there's lots of images that we can come to mind with where where cords just hold us back, they tie us up, and, and when we're tied up or on the end of the strings, it feels like somebody else is just controlling us. And the psalmist says, the cords that were used to drag the plow over this person's back have been cut. The psalmist has been set free the, the, the instrument that was used for persecution has been released and is no longer imprisoning this psalmist. The message, if you read the message translation of the Bible where it says the Lord is righteous, the message, Eugene Peterson, he translated, translates it as God wouldn't put up with it. God wouldn't put up with it. He sticks with us. What he's picking up on there is, is the emphasis in the Hebrew language of, of righteous meaning a dependable relationship. God is there for us. We can look back over a, a life filled with setbacks and disappointments and depressions, and we can in some way see them as steps on this road to Blessing. Not because of anything that we have done on our own, but because God has been with us on the journey. He's seen us through this far in our journey, and He will be faithful to continue to see us through. He's there for us. The Lord is righteous. God wouldn't put up with it. He sticks with us. We can find courage. We can find strength to keep going because God is the one Who is righteous? I know it. it, It's hard to move beyond the hurt. It's hard to move beyond the pain. True, true freedom—freedom from the from these past wounds—it might come because the Lord is righteous. True freedom might come in Jesus, but I got to tell you, it takes a lot of time—a long time. The Psalm says that we can can do a couple things. First one is, let it go. Forgiveness would be the word that we would use in theological circles. Uh, the easy answer, the easy solution, is simply forgive. It sounds simple. It almost sounds a little bit too easy. Forgive those who have hurt us. Forgive and forget, we hear some people say. Forgiveness, I've got to say, it's the right answer. It's the textbook answer. It's the one that we're supposed to say. Forgive. But, but when we say it like that, sometimes it just comes across as trite and insensitive. Just let it go. Just forgive them. Forgive and forget. I hear that said sometimes, and it just, I don't know how I feel about that. Because it sounds like sometimes in Christian circles, we make it sound so easy. It's something that's so difficult to do. We're called to forgive those who hurt us. Jesus says, forgive those who sin against you. Peter asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody who who wrongs me? Seven times? Rabbis taught that you should practice forgiveness three times. You could forgive somebody three times for, for the same offense. And so Peter, he's saying, should I forgive him seven times? I mean, Peter has doubled it and added one for good measure. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. Seventy times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying unlimited forgiveness. Really? But when we look at the life of Jesus, we realize that it wasn't just talk. Jesus walked and lived every word that he taught. I mean, all the way to his cross, when they had him pinned on the tree, the first thing that he spoke from his cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then over in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when, when the people are stoning him to death because of his faith, uh, he looks up and his prayer is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. Wow. Those are some good examples for us. It's a tall order for us. Jesus was able to practice it. We, we saw Stephen do it. It doesn't seem like Jesus is asking us to do something that we... It's impossible. It's still hard. How, how do we do this? How, how can we live in the present and be free from being stuck in the past? How do we move beyond living our lives as victims? How, how can we forgive like Jesus tells us to forgive? I talk to people frequently. I remember a man came in and he was trying to get over something in his past. His his father had abused him when he was a child. And he couldn't get over it. He couldn't release that. I'll never be able to forgive him. The woman who came in, she was telling me about how her husband had cheated on her. And ultimately just left her and the kids gone off to a different way of life. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive him for that. I'd have to say if if that's the case then those people who have tied you up in cords and had you on the ends of the puppet strings at some point in the past if we're unwilling to practice forgiveness and to begin letting some of these things go and put them into the hands of god because the lord is righteous then it just seems to me like you're still in bondage they still have control over you but pastor you don't you don't know how they hurt me maybe not maybe not but i know jesus does I know he suffered a little bit in his walk. The Lord is righteous. Remember the message translation? Dependable relationship. God sticks with us. He's there. He knows. And if it says the Lord is righteous, then that means that he'll take care of it. The psalmist says, He has cut the cords of the wicked. He doesn't say that you have cut the cords of the wicked. He does. Let God be God. Let Him be the judge. Paul Paul reminds us that God says that vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to worry about retribution or how the other person is going to be punished. Bring it to God and trust Him with it. The Lord is righteous. See, we say that we want to live free from the past. This is one of those points where you get to checking out Ridge, and you got a choice. Either you can continue on the climb to get to the mountain peak, to the summit, you can try and find your own way around, or you can just stop and go back. So maybe maybe it's time to get down on your knees on all fours and start climbing inch by inch, over chicken Ridge, constantly putting it in the hands of the one who is righteous. See, there's, there's freedom for you. That's a promise. And it's found in forgiveness. Maybe it's taking one step back even and remembering and accepting that God forgives you. God forgives you for the ways that you have wronged him. Maybe it's first accepting God's forgiveness before you can start handing things over to him and trusting that he will take care of it. See, we had to wrestle with this forgiveness thing sometimes. Forgiveness isn't really for the one who's offended you. It's not a strategy to change their behavior. It's something that we do that shapes our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own emotions, our own attitudes. Forgiveness is for us moving beyond the past, escaping the prison cell that we're in and letting go of things that paralyze us from fully living in the present. Forgiveness comes when we trust God with these details and say like the psalmist, the Lord is righteous. Second thing that we can do is dump your bucket in the presence of the Lord. I love the imagery of dumping your bucket. I've used it um, on and off, mostly on, in the entirety of of my uh, working career. Because once in a while, when you deal with people, somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Somebody's going to have a different opinion. We should do it like this. We should do it my way, Uh, or they'll have a complaint about services of, you know, I remember people would come in at the family fun parks, and they wouldn't want to wear a helmet in the batting cage, and and they want to be very uh, obtuse and aggressive. And and so once in a while, when you're dealing with people, all of this uh, anger and bitterness and negative feelings, they just build up like poison inside you. And you can't let it sit there and stew. you got to dump your bucket. And so the practice has been, at any point, any of my employees could walk into my office, close the doors, and just say, hey, i got to talk for a minute. And they could spew that poison in my office, and I would take it, maybe help reshape their thinking or provide some words of understanding. But they knew that they could come and dump their bucket at any point at any time, The psalmist encourages us in this psalm to be frank with God, that we can take the poison that's built up inside us and we can go dump our bucket in the presence of God. Look at verses 5 through 8. The anger is just bubbling up and over in this psalmist. He says he wants those who hate Zion to be put to shame. That's a tame way of saying he wants them to grovel in humiliation. He wants them to be humiliated as much as he feels. Verse 6 and 7, he uses the imagery of uh, agriculture. He says, I don't want my enemy to be fruitful. He wants them to have no harvest, no food. He wants their crops to be like grass that grows out of the roof. We might think about it as grass that grows in our parking lots or in other places where there's not supposed to be grass. See, when, when they made the roofs, the, the very top layer often had reeds strewn across the top, and then it would be packed with mud. And sometimes in the mud, there would be seeds that would germinate. And because the soil was really shallow and not conducive to growing, you might get a little sprout, and then it would just wither away. So he's using this imagery. I don't want him to have food. I don't want their crops to be successful. Verse eight: I don't want them to experience any blessing. Hmm. There was a traditional greeting that was often given to harvesters who were out in the fields doing their work, and the, and the, the greeting was, "The Lord be with you." Because the people depended on this agriculture. And so the harvesters uh, operated under the blessing of the people because they were doing important work. So the greeting would be, the Lord be with you, and the typical response was, the Lord bless you. But he doesn't want, the psalmist doesn't want any of those pleasantries here. No blessing for you. Come back two year. He lets his emotional outburst, he lets his true feelings he lets all of this bubble up and come out in the presence of God he's not bottling it up inside he doesn't pretend that he feels nothing he doesn't pick up the corner of the carpet and sweep it underneath he acknowledges exactly how he feels to God he he wants the enemies to experience a pain of their own I mean, this, you read it, it's, a, it's authentic. It's gut level. It's an emotional prayer. But listen carefully. He gives it to God. He doesn't, he doesn't dump his bucket in public. He doesn't empty this stewing poison within his home. He doesn't have a, a temper tantrum, public meltdown. He doesn't go around gossiping and speaking ill of his enemy in public circles. He takes it directly to God. So you can dump your bucket in the presence of the Lord. You can be honest with Him and tell Him how you truly feel. And you can allow Him to bring you back into alignment with His purposes. So you can give these things to God and He's the one who is righteous. So you can trust that He's going to sort it out and He's going to tell you if you're right or you're wrong in your accusations of this other person because He is the righteous one. Forgiveness comes out of the out of this ability to turn over your feelings to God to handle. It allows us to, to lay aside any feelings that we might have that, that might cause us to seek revenge or to lash out and strike out at the one who has hurt us. When we give it to God, it starts to take away the thinking that maybe we have to make it right on our own to get them back. See, when those who hurt us are very close to us, it's tempting to try and diminish this other person. It's tempting to try and ignore them and push them out to the perimeter and to the edges. It's tempting to talk nasty about them. It's tempting to gossip about them. It's tempting to demean them in front of other people. it's, It's tempting to turn others against them. Like the psalmist says, God, I don't want them to have any blessing at all. But see, that's not a really godly picture of how we're called to act and to operate as Christians. Speaking to God in, in private about your true, your deep down, honest feelings allows you to place this the action to place the the judging in God's hands and takes it out of yours. See, uh, it's not a happy song, necessarily. This song just takes us right up to the precipice of Chicken Out Ridge. I mean, these songs were not sung by perfect pilgrims on a journey. They had struggles of their own. They didn't have it all figured out. They they made mistakes like we do, but they didn't give up. They kept taking the steps. They kept progressing on this journey. They persevered. So do not quit. Do not quit when you figure out that you're not a fully mature qu- Christian. That's okay. The point is that we keep on going. We we persevere. I don't like that word persevere. That's a hard word. It comes from two Latin words. First Latin word is per surprise. Means thoroughly. Second Latin word is severus. So the Latin is per severus, so it's thoroughly. Severus means severe. So thoroughly severe. That's what persevere means. Thoroughly severe. That doesn't sound real pleasant to me. That sounds like something that I would want to avoid. Yet it's what we need to do in the Christian walk when we get to Chicken Out Ridge. We need to get down on our all fours. And even though it's a severe climb, it's hard, it is strenuous, you got to keep going. you got to keep going even if it's inch. By inch. Practice forgiveness. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you, as Jesus says. He had experience in it. So today I I just titled the message The Perseverance Project because it's ongoing. Projects just seem to go and go and go. And eventually, when all is said and done, the project will be completed. Eugene Peterson, he calls... Uh, he calls it having a long obedience, a long obedience in the same direction. We're moving in these steps of faith together in the same direction, and it takes a long time. Josh Moody will end with this quote. He says, "Getting over your past is really all about having the cross at heart. Those wounds we have received." can be either taken to the cross and they're judged by God as wrong or they can be left to fester inside. We cannot just let it go, but we can see it crucified, nailed, hung, and dead, and so there rise to new life and a new future. People of God said, amen. Would you stand as we pray? Our worship team is going to come and lead us in a song. God, this is a hard psalm for some of us. It's difficult when we start talking about all of the ways the people have hurt us. And I know that, that there are hurts that are being carried around in, in our midst. The just the slightest mention, maybe a picture or, or just seeing somebody across the room, it just rips a Scab off an open wound, we experience the hurt and the pain all over again, Lord. I just pray that as your people, that you would help us in this journey, that we would be a people who would be willing to submit ourselves to you, that we would get down on our all fours and, and start crawling across chicken out Ridge so that we can experience freedom from past Lord we just we thank you that you are willing to hear our prayers our gut level emotional angry prayers sometimes but we know and we trust that you are the righteous one and you will take those things that we bring to you and, and you will begin to reshape us to, to take those burdens from us remind us that you are in control that you will stick with us that you will help navigate us across the jagged landscape of this Christian journey as we ascend the mountain of discipleship God, help us in our journey. Be our strength and our guard. Father, we love you. We are so thankful that you've forgiven us. Help us to fully come to that recognition that you are the one who forgives us and can be trusted in taking what we have and helping us to be a people who practice forgiveness. Help us to be perseverant in each and every step we take. In Jesus' name we pray.